Hello, everyone, and welcome to Traverse, a climbing podcast by Red Squared. My name is Greg Redlosk, and this is the first episode of a new podcast we're creating here about, well, to be generic, climbing. But not just a discussion of what the best climbers in the world are doing. We're not only going to be talking about the Chris Sharmas and Adam Andres of the world. What we're interested in more is the experience of the majority of climbers, those of us who will never be professional grade, who will never make a living purely from our ability to send V14 boulders or 515 sport climbs. We want to talk more about travel. We want to explore the experience of climbers who love the sport for its ability to take them to new places, give them a reason to explore the globe, or maybe just provide a way for them to make new friends at the local climbing gym. What we're really talking about here is amateurism. We're not professional travelers. Nobody has ever paid me to go anywhere. We're not professional climbers, not by a long shot. When I say we, I mean myself and my brother Andrew. We mostly work in film by trade, but we found over the past few years of climbing and traveling that we both love the lifestyle and lament how disconnected people in mainstream society seem to be from it. For most people, vacations and travel are the time for them to relax, get away from the world. For us, travel is about going out into the world and experiencing it as fully as possible, without spending a lot of money, making it accessible. That'll probably be an overarching theme throughout this podcast, or maybe not. Maybe it'll change over time, I can't say for sure. Either way, I'm glad you're listening, and this is the first episode of Traverse, a climbing podcast. Today I'm going to talk a bit about a trip I took to Squamish, just north of Vancouver in British Columbia. I drove out there from New York City, where we're based, in a 30-year-old Subaru station wagon. My brother Andrew met me there. We climbed some rocks, pretty badly. It was great. But before I get into that, I want to give you a little backstory on us. A year ago I started making treks across the country in that Subaru. Andrew bought it for an adventure-slash-travel documentary we filmed in August of 2014. We've driven it cross-country four times to date and put 20,000 miles on the car in roughly six total weeks of driving. As we speak, I'm currently planning a drive out to Yosemite in September, so that'll make for cross-country treks number five and six getting there and back. So driving's something we like doing. It's not that impressive as I think about it. A lot of people have probably traveled more to more unique locations, more faraway places more closely resembling fantasy novels than the landscapes to which I'm familiar. But breadth of travel, distance of travel... That's not entirely the point. Or at least not for me. Not here. I'm setting out to document what have and hopefully will be some pretty interesting, unique, sometimes absurd trips to places that seem, well, worth experiencing. For whatever reason. And a lot of these trips have and will be centered on rock climbing. There's good reason for this. Over the last year, I've become completely and entirely obsessed with bouldering. I first took up bouldering, and for those of you who don't know, bouldering is ropeless climbing at a height that would most likely not result in death or serious injury if the climber were to fall, only a few years ago. It was roughly a year ago that I began bouldering with any seriousness. The first year I climbed, I went to the gym maybe once or twice a week at most, never more than an hour at a time. I never climbed outside. I was pretty much stuck at the same middling level. I had no ambitions for climbing. It was just something fun that I did from time to time. It was September of 2014 that I began to feel the need to boulder with more seriousness and regularity. I had just returned from that epic road trip adventure documentary, and my home in New York City didn't really feel like the home I'd left behind. The things about the city I loved had become strange. Just 
Brooding walls looming in the autumn chill, lit streets and windows that would never go dark. I missed the stars. Making the movie had taken me across the country, 12,000 miles in our beat-up old Subaru. It was a journey I'd hoped would cure my wanderlust, give me a sense of direction. It didn't. Climbing became a link to this outside world of adventure I'd been fantasizing about, dreaming of, missing. It provided a semblance of solace. I wasn't very good. I'm still not a particularly impressive climber. But there was something meditative to me about the movement on the wall that I needed. This kinesthetic activity fundamentally rooted in an innate joy of tactile response. Or maybe that's all bullshit. Maybe I like climbing because it's fun. Social. Gives me a reason to go explore places I never would have otherwise. Maybe it's a combination of all of the above. A year ago, I drove out to Seattle mostly on my own. When I drove to Squamish, I was by myself. Both times, it alternated between finding cheap hotels and camping. Hotels are fine, though I don't like having to spend the money. Camping alone is brilliant. Maybe it's because I live in a city with a population greater than a number of small countries, but being alone feels like a rare kind of privilege that comes with being on the road. Don't get me wrong, New York can be intensely lonely. But inevitably, there's always this buzz. Subways are always full. There will always be lines at the bodega, babies and strollers sobbing as they pass by on the street. As lonely as you might feel sometimes, you still never get to escape and truly be alone. It takes a willful shutting out to achieve even a semblance of solitude. Being alone in a car somewhere in the middle of Wyoming or Montana is almost the exact opposite. It's solitude without the quiet desperation of loneliness. So back to climbing. One of the things I like about it is that traversing the face of a boulder requires athleticism born not of brute strength, but instead something infinitely more interesting. Climbing necessitates niche strength and technique. Bulging biceps help, sure, but they're not the crux of the matter. Finger strength, tendon strength, the ability to crank on holds that barely seem there at all. Technical ability trumps pure strength, and it isn't even close. If you're a climber, you've heard all of this before, but still it bears repeating. What may bear even more repeating, or at least pondering, is why something as fundamentally pointless as climbing can get rooted under your skin and seem so absolutely necessary. It doesn't really make logical sense. But then again, neither does the sort of traveling I'm talking about here, the sort of adventure that's taken hold of my imagination. Traveling, especially when I should be home making a living, is pretty stupid. It's not fiscally responsible. It's barely, or not at all, feasible when it comes to making a living, paying rent. But I can't help myself. Yeah, okay, I've gone on a few tangents from what I was originally going to talk about. The trip to Squamish was the first time I'd gone somewhere truly far away, purely for the purpose of climbing. I didn't have much in the way of a plan. I knew a few places with friends I could stop along the way, but otherwise I was pretty much free to do whatever I wanted. I didn't have anyone looking over my shoulder. I had, however, watched a ton of videos of people climbing boulders in Squamish, and I put together a list in my head of all the boulders I wanted to climb. I was climbing at a round of V5, V6 level in the gym I frequent in New York, and I hoped I'd be able to come close to matching that outdoors. I had ambitions. Here's a bit of foreshadowing. I couldn't. Not even close. For reference, when I say V5, I'm referring to the V-scale, which is one of the methods by which the difficulty of a boulder problem is rated and codified. The higher the number, the harder the problem. If you need more info on that, check out Google. It'll help. When I got to Vancouver, just south of Squamish, I met up with Andrew, who was there for a performing gig. He's an actor when he's not adventuring or making films, and we made the trek up to climb. 
We camped and climbed for a few days, and the challenge was daunting. Everything was so much harder than we expected, and I felt a bit like a Gumby wandering around the forest flailing on just about everything. We finally managed to make it up a few of our projects, but the hardest grade I managed on the entire trip was a V4, and I only completed one of those. The rest was an exercise in repetitive, predictable failure. We'd been climbing a few days when I decided I wanted to check out a boulder problem that I'd been imagining I'd climb since I'd seen a video of a guy climbing it months back. This monkey's gone to heaven. The name comes from a Pixies song. It's a V7, and therefore way out of my range at the time. But as I said, I had ambitions. And the problem appealed to me, both on a competitive and on an aesthetic level. I convinced Andrew to come check it out with me, and we scrambled our way through the boulder fields at the base of the Stuamish Chief, a 2,000-foot granite monolith overlooking the town of Squamish, and probably the center of the Canadian climbing world. Most of the bouldering at Squamish is incredibly easy to access. You literally just park and then walk into the forest, and there everything is. Thousands of boulders strewn through the brush. It's a veritable playground for adults who haven't really bothered with that whole growing up bit. This particular problem, though, is situated in an area that's been developed more recently, and requires a scramble up towards what's known as the apron. The landings are horrendous, not a flat surface to be found as you make your way. We had to jump from rock to rock, crash pads in tow, before crawling through a small tunnel made by the meeting of two gigantic boulders in order to reach our destination. It probably took us more effort to find this one line than it did for us to find every other problem we climbed while we were there combined. What I couldn't have known from the video was the feeling of exposure we got just standing below the problem. It's a triangular boulder that juts out and above the rest of the field. You're on a bit of a slanting slope as you stand there staring, and as a result, the boulder feels very tall. There's nothing behind it but open air, power lines, and the sound of cars rushing by on the highway adjacent. I realize that that description does the view no justice. It's an incredible sight. Oh, you can see mountains, too. I forgot to mention that. Even more nerve-wracking is the fact that there's absolutely no landing to the problem. That's another thing you can't perceive from the video alone. It's basically a giant boulder situated on top of a bunch of smaller boulders. And where the bottom of the boulder meets what should be earth, there's only air, the weight of the rock resting elsewhere. Granted, the gap is small enough to be bridged with pads while climbing, but still, it's frightening. The moves in the video all look like moves I could pull off in the gym. That's why I had searched for it in the first place. I thought maybe I could surpass my expectations, my limits, achieve something crazy. I didn't even have the ball to pull onto the starting holds. We looked at it for a few minutes, Andrew and I, before turning tail and heading back down the Talus field towards the more moderate problems down by the road. Still, I, I don't regret it. I don't even feel badly. It frightened me, humbled me, standing there. But it also energized me, made me excited for something I hoped I could someday do. But even if I couldn't, it, it didn't matter as much. The location's ambiance was enough, the feel of just being there, looking out, a palpable objective juxtaposed with the sheer, limitless beauty. And so this is what I learned from Squamish, from this trip, as an amateur climber, adventurer, traveler, whatever. Adventure trumps ambition every time, if you let it. Because while you may have an ambition to visit a certain place, see a certain thing, climb a certain wall, boulder as hard as you can, once you're there and doing it and fully immersed in the moment, that ambition will take a back seat if you're willing to let it. If you're willing to let go of that sense of pride and just accept where you are, be in the moment. A sense of place, a vastness, can make all the other shit just vanish. And that, I think, is the very best thing about climbing. Once you're on your way up the boulder, clinging on to the rock with everything you have, you forget about grades, you forget about ambitions. You even forget why you're there in the first place. There's only room 
for the effort itself. It puts you firmly, wholly in the moment. And that's a rare place to be, especially in daily life. I don't, I don't regret being scared of the climb. The place was well worth the visit. The adventure of being there outside of my comfort zone, it made it worthwhile. If I'd had a failure like that in the climbing gym, I'd have been so down on myself, so annoyed for being bad, so frustrated that I hadn't matched up to the standard I'd hoped to set for myself. But how could I feel that way here, in this place? It didn't matter what I could or couldn't do. We all have ambitions for travel. We all have spent time imagining all of these cool things we can do, whether it's an amazing shot to photograph or film a challenging hike or an exceedingly difficult boulder problem. This isn't a bad thing. Ambition is what gets us out the door. I have tons of ambitions, and a lot of them are related to climbing or adventuring. But for me, those ambitions tend to last right up until the moment I've set off, whether it's on the road or on my way up a wall. Once I've made the decision to get up and go, everything else seems to fall away, and all that's left is the here and now. Here and now.